Recorded live. Welcome to episode, I don't even know what episode it is, 174 of Jaffe Juice, the new marketing podcast. I don't know when last uh, I did uh, 173. I think it was with uh, Mitch Joel. Maybe it was actually with uh, with um, my guest today, uh, Andrew Keane, um, with his last book. First book was Cult of the Amateur, and second was Digital Vertigo. Is that correct, Andrew? Yeah, that's correct. And and now the internet is not the answer. In italics, right? You mean the not? The not. Yeah, well, underlined, bolded, big letters, huge N-O-T. Exactly. Now, I, I have to say that uh, I remember the first time I met you, and obviously I heard of Cult of the Amateur, um, I had I had visions in my mind of uh, of just seeing you and immediately punching you as hard as I could in the face because uh, you were the the nemesis of uh, everything that I subscribed to and the antichrist of of the internet and uh, and and I I I really had to battle um, the impulse not to like you but I ended up really liking you and enjoying your company and probably agreeing with more of the things than I thought I would. Um, so as much as uh, I hoped that we would be fierce, uh, you know, adversaries, we ended up not being that. So this is not going to be a love fest, nor is it going to be anything else. But I think I hope it will be a very good conversation um, about something that I know you feel very passionately about. So it's it's good to connect again, Andrew. Well, vice versa. Uh, I wanted to punch you too until we met, and then we fell in love, right? Exactly. So let's let, let's do our best. We were to in Helsinki, weren't we? Wasn't that deal? That's exactly where we were. We were in Finland. I've since been back to Finland, and uh, maybe twice. <laughs> Which is actually one of the nicest places in the world. I mean, really. And we were there in the summer. It was glorious. It was glorious. I actually, uh, I don't know if you were, if you've ever been there for. I think it's Asparagus Day. I think it's I think it's Asparagus yeah. Day, and uh, literally everything was asparagus, including the ice cream uh, afterwards. Yeah. And uh, but I still, by the way, the, my, my uh, I think that conference, the, the Prime Minister of Finland was, was on a panel after us. And I think he had less people in the room than listen to you or I. Uh, I might be making that one Yeah, up. what I remember about that conference was that all the Finns are the most... I hope there aren't any Finns listening. I don't know if there really are Finns, whether they really exist. But um, all the Finns sat at the back of the room. You and I were arguing like mad. And, um, you know, in America, everyone had been sitting at the front, shouting and intervening and everything. All the Finns were right at the back, and they were as quiet as a mouse. They were about as, you know, they were desperate to avoid all the action. And then, at night, when the drinking started, they suddenly became very animated and involved in the discussion. So, clearly, they're, they're a, a nation that likes to drink. They, they Not, do of course, that I'm making any cultural generalizations about the Finns. No, not at all, but I will say one thing, which was that I remember um, I was, you know, back in back in the day of the of the original internet, when we used to do things like uh, meetups and tweet ups, and and we would uh, we would uh, share where we were publicly uh, halfway around the world. Um, this was pre uh, uh, Foursquare and their rise and fall and invitations to rob one another. Um, I remember kind of uh, tweeting out uh, and saying, hey, I'm going to be in Helsinki and I've got half a day to spare. You know, where's the one place that I should go? And the consensus that came back was was take a ferry to Estonia, um, which I thought was probably not very good PR on behalf of, uh, 
Helsinki or Finland um, that, uh, that everybody wanted me to go to Tallinn. But I think part of the reason why uh, that is so popular is, is uh, alcohol-related as well. Again, no judgments or generalizations. <laughs> so well, there you look, go. If you had any Finnish listeners, they'd be, they'd, they'd be complaining now. They'd be, well, they'd be I, on, I, on the blacklist. I know, I know one in particular who probably is listening, and I think uh, he's one of the nicest guys I've met, so I think he'll be okay. So, How do you explain the Finnish uh, economic meltdown that's here and all that? How do I explain it? Yeah. How do you explain it? You mean with respect to... Well, there's... Well, they're, creative destruction, I, I maybe it fits into my argument about how no business now says, you know, Nokia, which has been the darling of everybody five years ago, is now being almost irrelevant. Well, it, it, you know, going, going back to that specific point, I mean, I remember even being there the first time, and uh, at that point, I think it was already self-evident that... Um, you know that that kind of their their best days were behind them, and um, and but there was still and and I think that's just more endemic of um, corporate. I don't know whether it's delusion or arrogance or just this kind of bubble mentality of corporations. Forget about technology or internet, um, but there's that kind of denial. It's the same concept of you know of celebrities and or the president. Uh, not reading the newspaper and, and legitimately not even being aware of what's being said or what the consensus is around them. Because, I, I, I mean, I remember speaking to a couple of people from Nokia, and they still did not strike me as as being hungry to change or feeling that, yeah. that pain or that urgency. And so, you know, today I think the darlings of, you know, and, and, and from what I've – I haven't studied um, Finland, but what I've, what I've heard is that the government has now kind of – heavily backed companies like Rovio and Supercell and, you know, that have, you know, produced the, the next generation of um, developers and, 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 and massive companies, which probably falls again into, into the book, um, but like the Angry Birds and the Clash of Clans and, and, and these games that are just milking it uh, in terms of, you know, probably uh, children using their parents' bank accounts to buy gems and coins and 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 stars and. Right. And you know, one of the things about that the shift from say Nokia to these gaming companies is, I bet you anything that these gaming companies barely employ anyone, whereas Nokia was one of the country's biggest em- employers. As you know, in my book, I have this one chapter on Kodak. And then another chapter on Instagram, back to back, about the shift from the industrial to the digital economy. And I make the, I think it's a really important point. Not I'm necessarily the first person to make this, but uh, Kodak employed uh, Kodak employed 145,000 people uh, at its height, and now it's basically bankrupt. Whereas Instagram, when it sold to Facebook, employed 35. And I'm sure Nokia is similar. There've been massive layoffs at Nokia, so. There's always going to be creative destruction, and there's always what Craig Christensen calls the innovator's dilemma, where having invented something, you're 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 uh, sort of um, you're a casualty of that innovation because it's hard to out innovate, you to cannibalize your own innovation. But the problem is, is that with the digital revolution, it's actually undermining employment and jobs. That's one of my big uh, big messages in the Internet is not the answer, which isn't the fault of internet entrepreneurs. I can't even blame it on you. It's just the reality of the marketplace. Yeah, and, and you know, it's so funny because, 
you know, one of the things that, that, that I talk about a lot now, especially, you know, under the umbrella of, of my own company of evolution, is this idea of, of what if Kodak had acquired Instagram? And this is just in context of this idea of big corporations partnering with small startups. Um, but, but it does come back to that, that, I don't know whether we want to call it arrogance or delusion, but in, in the case of, and just in the context of what you're talking about, which is, the employ, which is employment, um, why didn't Kodak, or why wouldn't Kodak have found Instagram early enough and bought them and absorbed this technology and the solution into their business and prevented you know, all those people losing their jobs. And, and by the way, before you answer that, one of the responses that I often get is, well, they would have basically stuffed it up, like they kind of stuffed up, I think, Ophoto. And, and, and to which I say, maybe so, but, but maybe not. So you know, is that maybe the antidote to these big, because more and more of these big slumbering corporations are going to fail, and maybe they're going to fail based on these new rules and this new economy, for better or for worse, you know, and, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about Uber, um, that, that, that will continue to swallow the old companies or, or just leave them in their wake. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, and, and, and to be fair to, well, to be unfair to Kodak, uh, they destroyed themselves. After all, they were the company that invented the digital camera and they decided for one bizarre reason or another, not to develop it. Um, so, uh, yeah, and as you say, I mean, had they had they bought Instagram, God knows what they would have done with it. But there are, and I think you put your finger on one of the great challenges for all corporate managers. These large companies now can be destroyed so quickly. My friend, I, I'm sure you know Larry, uh, Larry uh, Downs' new book, Big Bang Disruption. Where he says that what the, the fundamental change now is that companies can be destroyed in, you know, a few months or certainly a couple of years with this remarkable technological change. So the challenge for all corporate managers is rethinking their company and certainly CEOs as dramatically as they can. I know I work closely with AT&T and Ericsson. AT&T now have their foundries, they, these innovation centers in which they are kind of trying to reinvent their business. I've spent a lot of time with John Donovan, the AT&T head of technology and uh, who, who recognizes this challenge. The same with Hans Vesberg, the CEO of Ericsson. I've done a series of interviews with him where he acknowledges that every morning he wakes up and while he's shaving, he thinks to himself, how can I reinvent my company today? So if the CEO is not thinking along those lines, they're finished. Technology changes everything from education to healthcare, to automotive, the digital revolution, which you know you and I have been arguing about for years, that started in media, is now sucking every every industry. Anyone who's listening to this in any industry with any job needs to recognise that their stuff's about to radically change. I'm sounding too much like you, aren't I? I'm, I'm just you know it's it's like staring into a mirror. No, um, you know uh, the the thing. It's so interesting when when I saw the internet is not the answer. I, you know, the, the 50% of me was, 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 was thrilled that we were talking about the internet. Um, and, and, and 50% of me was thinking, um, I think what he means, and especially when you start getting into, into, into um, your argument is, are we really talking about social media or are we talking about um, this kind of, um, this startup 
phenomenon in a sense because yeah. you know you know when we talk about as you call it the 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 tiny group of young privileged white male silicon valley multimillionaires or billionaires and you know and and, and i too have uh, a real problem um with many of those words um in particular in particular white male um as opposed to a, a diverse representation of the entire workforce and contributing workforce but but so let me go back to the 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 internet part because you know yeah I think I think you know what I really love about you is 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 you bring that that discourse and that debate to the forefront and ask the questions that quite frankly either people are not asking or forgotten about and and one of the things that 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 I often say now is you know when I'm asked the question what's the next big thing I say there is no next big thing you moron the next big thing is now or maybe that you know to your point the, the next big thing was yesterday um, but yeah. yet we forgot about that because we were because we were trying to strike gold in them our hills with the next Airbnb or whatever the case may be. And then, of course, you know, as I said, I just wondered, were you con- not confusing, but but are we really talking about the internet? Are we talking about you know my uncle and aunt were in Boca and they set up a li- they had a light bulb store they really did, and and they decided to use a Yahoo store and suddenly were selling everywhere in the world. That was the original promise and potential to level the playing field. So getting back to that was good, but at the same time, you know, at, at the same time, you know, recognizing that, that we're not in Kansas anymore when it comes to yeah. what the original internet was. Yeah, so you put your finger on something interesting. I mean, with a book, of course, you've got to have a sexy title. If, you, if, 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 if that book sat on one of the front tables in Barnes & Noble and had a, a title like, the internet and then brackets, the digital revolution or maybe the network revolution might not be the answer. No one's going to buy it. So it, it has a simple, patchy title, which hopefully will um, resonate, is indeed resonating with, 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 with readers. But when I use the word, you're right about this, and I don't, I'm not really crazy about the word the internet, but we don't have another word. Nick Carr explains that now all computers, you know, the internet is computers. They're in, you can't distinguish. A digital device is by definition networked, whether it's the thing you wear on your wrist, in your pocket, sewn into your clothing, into your walls, into your car, whether it's your laptop or whatever. Um, so what I'm, talking, what I'm trying to talk about in this book is the networked revolution or the digital revolution. And what I argue is that at the moment, and I use that phrase very carefully because I'm not a reaction. I'm not saying we go back to some previous age that's unattainable. At the moment, this revolution is not the answer to our major social and economic challenges. So companies like Uber and Airbnb, for example, are only compounding a lot of the problems with the world of inequality, of unemployment. Same, of course, is true of Google and Facebook. Facebook just came out with some bogus report promising that they created 5 million new jobs. Of course, that report was authored by Facebook itself. Uh, same with uh, Uber. I was at the DLD conference earlier this week, and Travis Kalaumik got up and told the Europeans, well, if you let me come into your markets, I'll guarantee you 50,000 jobs. And then Uber have just commissioned again their own report, guaranteeing how Uber creates jobs and why their drivers would rather drive for them than traditional cab companies. But again, it's an Uber-sponsored or an Uber-written report 
among the troubling things about the tech press is they report this as fact. So TechCrunch, who I used to work with, used to have a show on, and very fond in some ways of the brand, are reporting this stuff as fact. So these are huge issues. This isn't just a Silicon Valley issue. It's not for people like you and I to argue about. It affects real people. I mean, is Facebook really creating 4 million new jobs? Can Travis guarantee 50,000 new jobs in Europe? Or is indeed Facebook eliminating jobs? You know, their, their acquisition not only of Instagram, but I think the, the most symbolic of all these things was their acquisition of, of, of WhatsApp. $20 billion acquisition for a company that employed 55 people. In my book, I say that David Brooks of the New York Times, who's I mean, a very good columnist, argued that this represented the moral crisis of our age, not because Mark Zuckerberg bad, he wants to put people out of work, but the reality of these firms is they're not creating real wealth, which is being spread. They're not creating jobs. You know, it, it's... Um... It's a real conundrum. I mean, l last night I went with a friend finally to see um, to see The Hobbit, and we walk into this movie theater, and he says to me, uh, he says to me, my buddy made this, and I look down, and it's um, how do I describe it? It's like it, it's basically you know when you um, when you're kind of standing in line at the TSA, and you've got the kind of snake lines, and then you've got these poles, and the poles have these um, these kind of cords, um, and you can kind of, you know, just open up the cord and, and let it go down or, or move the cord around, basically. You know what I'm talking about, like these poles. And, um, but but yeah. he, made, he made the mechanism and patented the mechanism that actually is on top of the pole that allows the cord to pull and then kind of snap in and snap out. So, so kind of each right. pole snaps onto another one. And he said, and today, you know, he's, I don't know, mate, untold multi-millions, if not, you know, hundreds of millions based on this patent. Um, the world has always worked that way in terms of an idea that can, and, and certainly in the U.S. market, if not the global market, which is even more attainable um, because of the Internet, uh, it's a lot, you know, an idea that can scale rapidly um, can generate certainly a tremendous amount of, of wealth. Um, and of course, it's debatable, and it's a good debate, to, you know, which is where is the real, there's certainly utility in the WhatsApps of the world, and there's certainly time being spent, disposable time that was, you know, that used to be spent maybe watching television or, or doing other things that had a media cost or, or, or a media value uh, associated to them. But, but, but that's, you know, that's nothing new in a sense, in terms of the ability for an idea that says, look how, you know, let's go back to Airbnb. Look how cool this idea is. I don't know that cool is the right word, but that allows anybody to now sublet their granny flat or their, you know, room to, you know, and create a new, hopefully efficient marketplace where supply and demand actually kind of live really peacefully and, and seamlessly side by side. So, so on, you know, on, on, on one respect, nothing's new. You know, but on the other, uh, on the other hand, um, the valuations, to your point, uh, are obscene, and the and, and, yeah, the, not, and the speed you know is obscene. obscene. You know why Uber's worth forty billion, or or Airbnb is worth ten billion, or whatever it is, ten plus billion, because these are speculative plays by Wall Street and Silicon Valley, which are increasingly indistinguishable, to create essentially global monopolies. I mean, how can Uber be worth $40 billion 
for a company that's under regulatory fire across the world, it's because, firstly because of its margin, but secondly, because people see it as a kind of a, a, a global platform for transportation and delivery. Um, and they take whatever it is, 20, 30, 40% of the revenue. They don't create jobs. Travis's promise to create jobs is, is, is absurd since Uber is a platform that gives people the opportunity to work on it. But they don't give the kind of security, the, the pensions. They don't allow unions. Uh, drivers are increasingly uh, incredibly insecure. And so I'm really troubled by this new economy. I call it the precarious economy, not the proletarian economy. It's a precarious economy employing or quote-unquote employing people on networks like TaskRabbit to wait in line uh, to, to buy iPhones. Uh, people are renting out their labor by, by the day, by the, by the hour, maybe even by the minute. And this doesn't give us any kind of security, and it doesn't ennoble any dignity to work. So I think we're going in the fundamentally wrong way. You know, Airbnb now is valued more than Hilton and Marriott and the Hyatt put together. The problem is it's not really creating jobs. Uh, every, most of the people who are using it, according to Eric Schneiderman, the uh, New York Attorney General, aren't paying their taxes. So everyone, again, is living in fantasy internet land where they think they can do anything they want, not pay taxes. Uh, meanwhile, it's the consumer ultimately gets screwed uh, by networks like Uber that raise their prices 10, 15x when it rains or snows. So again, as I argue in the book, the internet is not at the moment the, opera the, the right operating system for this world. It, it, it's exploitative and all the money is going to these tiny little monopolies. Well, they're large monopolies, but monopolies operated by uh, small groups of technologists in Silicon Valley. So, so we could look at, you know, we could look at this landscape and let's kind of focus a little bit more on, let, let's continue the thread with respect to, to Uber because if we had to point a finger, and there might be multiple fingers in terms of who's <laughs> to blame, um, one question could be, well, you know, is it, is it Travis? Is he, uh, you know, if, if it's true, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Is it is it him, or are there a million uh, Travis wannabes and, and Zuckerberg wannabes that, that are, in fact, just cogs in this larger kind of yeah. uh, you know, evil empire, if you will? So that, or is it the VCs, which you've alluded to you know, earlier? Because the, the argument you make about, you know, about paying taxes and about kind of um, – I mean, even going back to surge pricing for a second – um, one one could argue, uh, you know, reasonably uh, intelligently, that there's nothing wrong with surge pricing because, you know, at the end of the day, it's completely, if you believe, uh, generated by a machine and, and, and an efficient algorithm that matches supply and demand. Um, that you know, when I finished running the New York Marathon, I tried to, uh, I could barely walk, and I tried to Uber my way to Grand Central. And I had to pay 2.8x uh, surge pricing. And I was like, you know what? To hell with that. I'll take two subways, which probably was not worth it. And I should have paid the three times. Um, but there was, you know, surge pricing because um, everybody wanted to get a car that day. But, but I think the flip side of that argument, um, and, and of course, the argument can be made. Look, you have the choice. You can use it or not use it. You can agree to it or not. But the, well, that's the Travis's argument. But I think that consumers... We, we want all the conveniences of Uber. It's a, it's a great service. Clearly, they've hit a nerve. 
the old taxi business is awful. We all know that. It needs to be reinvented. But we make these Faustian bargains with these companies. Uh, we forget about the... You know, it's one thing to pay 2.8x, quite another to pay 10 or 15x. This is what people are ending up paying. And surge pricing is... You know, it exists in lots of industries. We know it exists in the hotel and the airline industry. If you try to get a, you know, a flight to Las Vegas during CES, you're going to pay a lot more. But there's something about Uber, as you say, that really strikes a nerve. It's partly because Travis is so unpleasant. He epitomizes the, you know, the self-interested libertarian uh, startup entrepreneur, the guy who had the Ayn Rand avatar on his Twitter page until his. PR people told him to take it down. The guy he boasts that he, you know, has a lot of sex now because as the Uber CEO girls like him, they obviously didn't like him in the past, understandably. Um, the guy who is so abrasive and celebrates disruption and has no understanding or uh, any kind of sense of what it actually, what it involves to disrupt huge industries. I mean, I've been... Every, every cab I now get into around the world, they're all talking about Uber. And what Uber's doing is sweeping away small companies, small five, six cab companies. Hundreds, thousands of these companies are being swept away. Uh, they, they epitomize, you know, classic middle-class economy. I was in Detroit, uh, got into an African uh, cab driven by a very nice African-American guy, had five or six cabs, told me his business would die if Uber became more successful. Also told me a story about his brother-in-law, just got out of jail, did 10 years for manslaughter, couldn't become a traditional cab driver because of regulation, but could immediately become an Uber driver. So now he's driving an Uber cab. So anyone who gets into an Uber car in Detroit, beware, might be driven by someone who's just done 10 years for manslaughter. I don't think we need... I I think Uber is probably the future, and I admire some of the things Travis has done. I mean, they've executed an idea brilliantly. And it's clearly very profitable and attracting massive investment. But they have to play by the same rules as mm. the old economy. And they can't treat regulation as the problem, government well, as the problem. And, Especially when it and, comes to cabs, we need regulation. We well, need safety. I'm, I'm going to get to regulation in a minute. But, but, but the, the, the counter argument, just to finish the thought, my, uh, the original thread, is that you know, the argument could be but if there isn't an alternative that exists because Uber's bought them all up, well, then, then there's a real problem. Then That's there's a, a real problem. problem. And you see that with, look at Amazon. Amazon began as a wonderful service. Even the publishing industry liked it because it brought more books to more readers. But now that Amazon is increasingly monopoly, publishing more languages as well, becoming a monopolist, but that's bad for publishers and it's bad for readers and it's really bad for writers. And exactly the same thing will happen with Uber. That's why it's worth it. Andrew, I, I think I lost you a little bit. You, you might... Sorry, Tom. No, no, you, you're back. I think uh, you got muffled yeah. a little bit there. I did have that Uber censoring me. Maybe. Um, but but so so let's so let's go to you know um, uh, this week uh, the uh, the president gave his State of the Union address um, and I was actually thinking of you um, when he um, I'll just read you the one paragraph he said uh, you know obviously he talks about a bunch of things but 
He said no foreign nation, no hacker should be able to shut down our networks, steal our trade secrets, or invade the privacy of American families, especially our kids. And then he said, I urge this Congress to finally pass the legislation we need to better meet the evolving threat of cyber attacks, combat identity theft, and protect our children's information if we don't act, we'll leave our nation and our economy vulnerable. And spoke about some other things as well. But, but I thought of you in terms of this idea of, of you know, privacy and security and regulation and, and, you know, and, and at least rules of engagement for a new economy. Um, you, know, is regula- you, know, you said the internet is not the answer. Well, is regulation the answer? Because that is a fiery debate um, and, and clearly vehemently you know, de- debated on both sides in terms yeah. of whether government needs to step in, you know, at any time. But certainly when it comes to being able to figure out, I mean, I doubt many people would argue with the fact that, look, paying tax, you know, you've got to pay taxes, or at least you've got to pay a certain amount of taxes. Well, I don't know. Peter Thiel, Travis Kalanick, I bet they'd argue that you probably shouldn't be paying taxes. Uh, a lot of libertarians in Silicon Valley, a lot of very powerful ones. Yeah, I think it's a it's an important point. I just got back from Europe. My book's doing incredibly well in in Germany. Uh, first print sold out within a few days. Um, it was top fifty of Amazon. It's already gone into its second printing. I was headline news on a number of different newspapers. Uh, I was on the, the biggest national TV news station. Uh, and some Americans think of me as a European socialist, and as you can tell, I'm not European, and I'm not a socialist. I do believe in the market. And I think we have to figure out a middle ground between Europe and the U.S. Because whilst I'm sympathetic in some ways to some of the stuff that's going on in Europe, you can't over-regulate. For example, I think it's absurd that, 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 that courts in France and Spain are forcing Google to pay newspapers for links on Google which send readers to their newspapers. On the other hand, I'm sympathetic to some of the data privacy legislation that's coming out of the EU. Uh, the problem in America is the, is the sort of hardcore opposition to any kind of regulation. And clearly a company like Google in particular needs to be looked at very critically in terms of antitrust. I, I did a speech in D.C. last week, and one of the people at the audience was Jessica Rosenworth, one of the commissioners at the SDC, and I made it clear that for me, regulation is a friend of innovation. And she came up to me afterwards and was very sympathetic. Um, think about Microsoft and Google. If, if Microsoft hadn't experienced the government antitrust case in the U.S., we never would have got Google. So to really protect innovation, to generate more entrepreneurial opportunities, I think we need to look very carefully at these large monopolies in this winner-take-all economy. Innovation mm-hmm. and regulation are not in opposition. They actually naturally go together. And I strongly disagree with Peter Thiel, who argues in his new book, Zero to One, that monopolies are a good thing for society. I mean, they're a terrible thing for society and for entrepreneurs in general. Well, and, and, and the reality is, uh, you know, m- maybe, you know, I mean, you, you refer to this as the, uh, I think, the winner-take-all economy. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I actually call it the law of one and uh, and, and yeah. before before Absolutely. I expand that's on that, great, that's a great phrase actually. In comparison, and now we have the law of one, which is Airbnb. At least in the industrial economy, it was the law of two, which was Avis and Hertz. 
Well, I was going to go back and say, even in the media, in, 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 in the world that I came from, it was kind of the law of three, at least, which was yeah. ABC, CBS, and NBC. Like you're beginning to sound like me. You're, you're beginning to be nostalgic for the old age. Admit it. You see, I told it you that, that. It was more democratic, right? You, you know, that, 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 that's why the first, <laughs> the, the first question I was going to ask you is, is kind of, you know, Andrew, why so angry? And then thank you for being angry again, because that was the Internet 1.0. We, we used to get mad as hell, and we, and we said we weren't going to take it. And, you know, and, and we debated on our blogs and our podcasts, but now it's very hard, A, to be articulate and angry in 140 characters or less. And I think it comes back to, to Uber, which is with this whole kind of... Uh, you know, um, I forget the the guy's name that came out with these, uh, you know, uh, misogynistic statements and and uh, and and this this just massive massive PR nightmare, and everybody said they were going to stop using Uber, and and nobody did. Where was yeah. the outcry? Where where yeah, was the accountability? And I talk about this in the book, and this comes back to something you said earlier. The real tyranny today is the tyranny of now. Nobody has a collective memory. Uh, we've lost a collective memory. We stumble from one t Twitter outrage to the next. And as soon as we finish with that Uber outrage, we forget it. We move on to Je suis Charlie or this or that or something that someone said or something that Rupert Murdoch said. And, and, and we have no idea of either the past or the present. So the cultural ramifications of this are, are, are particularly troubling. Well, I... uh, and, and people have... People have no ability to really synthesize information in a coherent, long-term way. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I saw, I guess someone, I, I don't know whether this is, uh, to what degree this has been scientifically validated and backed up, um, uh, but, but I saw something, the, the fact that it was even mentioned in a video, it was a brilliantly put together video about uh, attention and prioritization, that, that apparently a goldfish right now uh, has a has a, a an attention span one second uh, superior than that of the average man, um, and uh, we're talking about not memory but attention span, and uh, just just the fact that even that was being compared, and I don't even know how yeah. they measured it, but uh, it was like the fact that we can't process and and we're you know I even wrote about MDD media deficit disorder in in life after the thirty seconds part ten years ago that that I am concerned too in 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 our ability to actually stand for something and, and stay the course um, in terms yeah. of actually following through. You know, the, the, you mentioned something. I was actually, I, I happened to also listen to you uh, with Mitch um, on the podcast just a couple of days ago. And, um, you know, just in advance of this, n not, not in terms of prepping, but just happened to. Um, and there was something that you discussed that, that I absolutely thought was, on the money, and uh, and and you spoke about the various cults, um, and you spoke the cult of the consumer, um, and then of course you know going back to even just dissecting the title, the, the 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 very snappy title, you know the internet is not the answer, and then the question, and and you I think astutely said, well, uh, what's the question then, and then what is, and and ultimately what is the answer, but I wonder whether you know in terms of the who's to blame and why we got here. How much of that blame needs to be uh, borne by the consumer, by the, well, the yeah, you know, the self-entitlement so in terms of everything's free? Can we do a second part of this where we address this whole issue of the cult of the consumer 
and our own responsibility of this and how we can dig ourselves out. We're going to run to another call now. But this has been great. As always, it's fantastic to talk to you. Very stimulating. Uh, we can. So you're 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 leaving you're leaving me hanging on uh, yeah. to to uh, 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 to be continued until we talk again. Well, uh, well, uh, sure. I mean, uh, we let's, can. Let's do a part two where we talk about the consumer and the solution. If, if the internet's not the answer, what is? Or how can we make the internet the answer? We can do that. Um, I uh, I look forward to it. So I've been chatting with uh, with Andrew Keane, the author of The Internet what, Is Not what, what the Answer. What was that? What was number series? Was it one hundred and forty three and a half? This is one seventy four point recurring three 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 three, rounded off to three four. So I can be one seventy five too. So let's do it again, maybe next week. We can do that. Okay, go around. That was brilliant, Joseph. I I, I love catching up with you, and we'll talk soon. Take care, Andrew. Bye. Bye.